Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Uh, if you have your Bibles, be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. If not, these verses will be on the screen in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, and I don't have notes. Uh, did y'all get notes? So hopefully these verses will sure be on the screen because we're having technical difficulty in the building next door. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, hear the word of the Lord. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, We Must Grow. Look at somebody and say, grow. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for each person who's come today. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. Lord, I pray that you would allow each one of us to drown out the thoughts and the noise from the world and to concentrate on you today and your word. God, I pray that you would strengthen my body, anoint my mouth and my mind to say the things that would honor you. God, I pray you'd teach us now from your word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. We must grow. If you don't get anything else understand what it's saying in these three words. As believers, we must do what? So if we're growing, we're doing the right thing. If we're not growing, then we're not doing the right thing. Uh, first, before we even get into the text, I want you to understand a simple concept that I believe can help you grow in your life as a believer. If you will begin to realize that God is our father, and we are his children. Basic enough concept, but goes over most people's head. God is our father. When Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, he said, pray our father. Now, here's the thing about God in the scripture. God is so big and so beyond understanding. The scripture says his, his ways are beyond our our limited understanding in many ways. So God had to choose to reveal himself in many different forms, in many different fashions to us so we could get a glimpse of who he is. God revealed himself to us as a king with faithful servants. God revealed himself to us as a slave owner with bond servants. Paul said we are slaves to Christ. God revealed himself to us as an owner with managers, God revealed himself to us as all these different things so we could try to get a glimpse of who he is. But the one most primary and repetitive way that God chose to reveal himself to us is as a father. He did all these different, gave us all these different revelations of who he is so that we could try to broaden our understanding. But the one way he has revealed himself to us the most is as father, say father, not mother. God is not gender inclusive. God is, God is not uh, 
keeping up with the times. I saw on a YouTube yesterday uh, some far left leaning uh, gender inclusive group now has determined, are you ready for how many genders there are in the world today? Three? Almost. Anybody want to take it? It's more than three according to the left-leaning uh, liberal gender inclusive alphabet people. 82, 30, 5, 6. You ready? I mean, tighten your wig, tighten your wig on. Hold it. Don't let it fly off. They're now reporting that there must be, this is their language, there must be over 200 gender identities and each of us have the right to choose on a moment by moment and vacillate back and forth between them all. Uh, God doesn't play with those foolishness. God chose to reveal himself to us as a father because there, there are very biblical roles set out in nature and in theology as to what we should understand about a father. So God is obviously bigger than a father, but if you understand that God is your father and you are, get ready, his little child, his little child. See, Shannon, first-time mother, got a baby. How was Malachi? One, just one, 12 months straight up? See, come on, first-time mom. You got to say 14 months. So he's 14 months. Um, and, and here's the thing about babies. Mom ain't had a chance to be. Now, she's probably been frustrated from lack of sleep. She's probably been frustrated from uh, crying. She's probably been frustrated. But she hasn't had a chance to be really disappointed in that child yet. Do you follow me? She hadn't had a chance to really have a massive argument. Uh, do me a favor. Take your arm off the back of the chair, please. Thank you. Um, that's just distracting. Um, she hasn't had a chance to really have an argument with him and to make uh, go into it. Any parents that has a child older than 14 must know what I'm talking about? There is this, there's this thing as kids get older, they get mouthier. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Especially if it's a girl. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. Uh, especially, uh, the only person that can be mad at that is a woman. You know if you had a little girl, I, I've heard this testimony from moms. Let me see if there's a mom in the room that can back me up. That their daughter, when she was little, was on her skirt and loved her and thought her mama was the greatest everything, the greatest woman, the greatest cook, the greatest human being. But when that girl got between 12 and 14 years old, she just decided she was grown. Isn't that right? She thought she was smarter than mom. Isn't that right, mom? She thought she could outcook mom. She thought she didn't need mom's advice anymore. So when I talk about God being our father and us being his children, I want you to think little child. See, because compared to Shannon, Malachi is little, right? Compared to anybody, Malachi is little. He's 14 months old. And you might be 12, 20, 50 80, 105, you, but no matter how grown you get, we're always going to be little to God. And here's the thing about little children. Little children just make mom and daddy happy all the time. Well, more times than not. 
Little children bring joy. Little, you don't have that expectancy of a little child. I'm going to give you my refrigerator speech and I'm going to move on because I want you to get this refrigerator mindset about how God views you. Because in America, we have been poisoned by false church religion that preaches a performance-oriented Christianity that says God accepts you if you do good and he rejects you if you do bad. But the reality is God accepts us by faith, not by performance. So here, here's the thing. We've, we've been falsely taught and lied to in churches to say, oh, God likes you better if you do all the right things than the person who doesn't do all the right things. No, that's how you treat your children. That you, 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 you're happy with the kid who, who does all the right things, and you're frustrated with the kid who does all the wrong things. But God isn't that way because God doesn't have a false expectancy of us. Here's where we mess up as parents. When our kids are small, we expect them to vomit on themselves and, and to, to pee on themselves. Uh, and so we just, we, we, we don't freak out when that happens. It's not pleasant, but we, we deal with it. Now, if they're still doing that at 15, we've changed our expectancy. We expect them not to be able to do certain things the right way. We don't give them the keys willingly at five years old. We don't expect them to be able to drive. But when we start expecting more of our kids and they don't live up to our expectation, then they become frustrated and we become frustrated. I want you to get this before we can move on. God does not have false expectations of you. He knows exactly what you're capable of. He knows exactly what we can and can't do. He's not expecting you to be more than what you are to receive his love. Hear this. Here's some good news for you. God loves you right where you are. Here's the refrigerator story. When I've, I've seen it in houses forever. When a little kid, usually a three-year-old, four-year-old, uh, colors in something in a coloring book for mom, and mom loves it. If it says love mommy or scribbles on there some kind of way, something to affect that they love mom, mom prizes that. My baby drew this for me. Now, your baby didn't draw it for you. Your baby colored it in. There's a difference, but you get carried away. My baby drew this for me. Well, it looks horrible because your baby drew one arm purple and one arm orange. It doesn't work like that. Your baby drew half the face green and the other half brown. It, it doesn't work that way. Your baby drew all out, colored all outside the lines. But because that's your child, your little child, that you don't have great artistic expectation on at three years old, you put that on the fr- and you walk by it and you smile and you think, my baby's gifted. That's genius work, right? That's on a different level. You see how that orange and that and, and that purple, that's just the, the, the advanced thought. And you just make up in your mind how proud you are of that bad artwork colored all outside the lines. And you try to show that to a guy like me, a reasonable, rational, logical human being. Look how beautiful my baby colored this in. And I'm thinking, might want to work on staying inside the lines. Might want to, you know, teach a little bit about matching. And, you know, you know, most people's left arm is the same color as their right arm. Uh, but the parent looks at their small child's work, and because it's given to them in love, 
they love it and accept it. What am I trying to say? Stop thinking that God looks at you as an adult. God looks at you as a little child. And when you offer him something of love that you've done for him, it doesn't have to be perfect for him to love you. If you don't get anything out of today's message, understand this. We are little children in God's eyes, and the Bible says we are accepted in God's family. Somebody ought to be thankful about that good news this morning. Listen to what the scripture says in Galatians 3.26. Put that on the screen for us. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's a little lesson for you on salvation and childhood. You don't get saved by joining the church. You don't get saved by doing good things. You don't get saved by giving money in the offering. You don't get saved by, by being better than you used to be. The Bible says you're all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The thing that brought us into this relationship with God is faith. Say faith. Not works. See, there's two major concepts about how to please God. One is faith. This is believing something that you can't see. And the other is works. This is doing something for the purpose of winning over someone's favor. And I want to tell you something. There's not enough good works to cover your bad up. But the reality is we've been poisoned through the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I was born into the Roman Catholic Church, christened into the Roman Catholic Church, confirmed in the Roman Catholic Church, so I can tell you about the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, they have this overriding theological concept that says if you're a Catholic, you're okay, because that, that's what they believe. And if you're a good Catholic, you'll get into heaven quicker than a bad Catholic, okay? So this is what they teach, that if when you get to heaven, when you get to St. Peter's pearly gates, when you get to heaven, God's going to weigh your good against your bad, and if your good outweighs your bad, you get to get in faster. That's what they think, and it's ridiculous. God's not letting anybody in if their good outweighs their bad. And let me say this, everyone not named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, their good does not outweigh their bad. If you did nothing but good every day for the rest of your life, your good would still not outweigh your bad. Because God says if you have broken one of his commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. And this is the bad theology that has dribbled uh, down into 2021, even into saved people's minds, is that, well, I'm better than this person. Did you not hear the scripture? If you have broken one of God's commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. Well, I'm not as bad as sister so-and-so because she's a gossip. Well, I'm not as bad as brother so-and-so because he's a drunk. Well, I'm not as bad as sister so-and-so because she's a hoe. Listen, if you broke one, you broke them all. The Bible says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There should not be competitiveness for righteousness inside of saved people's mind because the only righteousness we have is the righteousness that was given to us by faith in Christ Jesus. So we're not the children of God by having the perfect theology. We're not the children of God by attending the right church. We're the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. What am I telling you? If you believe that Jesus is God who came in the flesh to live a perfect life, die on a cruel Roman cross, suffer, bleed, die, stay buried for three days and raised from the dead on the third day and lives in heaven now so that we can have eternal life, then you are a child of God. Here's the thing. Everybody's like, just believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, everybody believes in Jesus. 
The Bible says the devils believe in Jesus and tremble. Everybody believes in Jesus. He's the most documented human being on the, on, on the planet. In the history of the world, there's been more documentation on this one man than any other human being to ever live. So believing in Jesus is, is not really what, what's going to put you into this child of God thing. It's believing in the claims that Jesus made about himself. Jesus said he is God. Jesus said he's the only way to God. Jesus said if anybody tries to get to God other than him, they're a thief and a liar. Jesus said that there's no other way to God except through him. Jesus said he was going to die, be buried, and raise himself from the dead. See, everybody believes in Jesus. Everybody just doesn't believe all that about Jesus. If you believe all that about Jesus, you're a child. And here's the thing. Get it. Little children are readily accepted by their father. Now, the older they get, the more we expect out of them because we think, I shouldn't have to tell you that every, every time. I should, you shouldn't still be making these same mistakes. But here's the thing. We see them as growing up, getting closer to us. We see them as growing up, and we expect better out of them. But God always sees us as little children, say little child. So to be a child of God means that you've placed faith in Jesus Christ. And children should grow. God expects his children to grow. Now, babies might be cute, and there are moms who just wish their babies could stay cuddle babies forever because that mom just likes to have that security blanket of a cuddle baby. But parents want their kids to grow at the right pace. Can you say amen? You want your kid to grow. Uh, Malachi started walking around one. That's when we want to see that happen. Malachi should get out of diapers sometime around when? Three? Two? Five and a half? <laughs> Listen, if you're still wearing diapers at six, we're going to have an issue. We, we expect our kids to grow on certain, at a certain pace, and there is a pace for growth that you should be experiencing as a child of God. Just like we want our children, we want them to start crawling. We want them to start walking. We want them to start talking. We want them to start being able to use the bathroom on their own. We want them to start going, learning their letters and their shapes and their colors and all these different growth markers that we want to see happening. America wanted to see uh, children grow up, get a job, move out from their parents' house and build their own way. That happened for 200-plus years until this last generation, so we, we got some regressive uh, growth happening, but that's a message for a different time. All the millennials are mad at me now. Um, <laughs> e easy crowd to pick on, Bliss. Don't hate. Um, you want to see children grow, and God expects his children to grow. Well, let me tell you four things about growth, and then we get into the text. Number one, growing takes time. Say time. Growing takes time. If Shannon just sits around every day frustrated, when is this boy going to be able to drive? I want him to drive me to church. I'm tired of driving. When's he going to load me up in the car? And Listen, it takes time. It takes time. As parents, we understand that. We don't always get excited about it, but it takes time to grow. Growing is a process, and I want you to understand that if you're saved, you are in your process, whether you're growing properly or not, you're in your process, but growth takes time. This is something that 
young believers get all messed up. It's, I, I love seeing young believers. I love to see people who are recently saved and on fire for God. The, the problem is they think they're more grown than they really are. And, and that's how every kid gets. They, they grow a little bit, and, and, and they, they, they start feeling themselves, and that's when that 14-year-old thinks they don't need mom and dad anymore because they, they think that they, they've grown enough. Listen, growing takes time. Say time. Second thing I want you to know about growth, growth can be painful. Growth can be painful. If you've ever had a growth spurt, knees hurt, joints hurt, growth can be painful. It puts you through changes, and people don't like change. Your favorite jeans might not fit anymore. Listen, even at 57, I can still grow. <laughs> Third thing I want you to see, growth requires proper nutrition. Say nutrition. Growth requires proper nutrition. Jesus taught in a very, very familiar pattern to us because we talk about it a lot at Abundant Life, first natural, then spiritual. He talked to farmers in agricultural terms to get them to understand spiritual truth. He talked to fishermen in fishing terms to get them to understand spiritual truth. So he talked about natural things to get them to understand spiritual things. And we understand in the natural, if you want your child to grow, a Mountain Dew and candy corn cannot be their only nutrition, right? Some of y'all are like, well, I don't know, it worked for mine. Uh, <laughs> proper nutrition helps growth in the natural, and it also helps growth in the spirit realm. Fourth thing we're going to talk about, talk about this morning is lack of growth can cause resentment. Lack of growth can cause resentment. If others are growing in your family but you're not, that can cause resentment. If other, if other people are growing more than you, you, you want to see them grow or you, that you wish you were there, that can cause resentment. With these four things in mind, let's take a look at our text. Put verse 13 on the screen for me. In 2 Peter 3.13, let's examine our text. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. Now, we talk a lot about biblical interpretation. We talk a lot about hermeneutics, the art and science of properly interpreting Scripture. We talk a lot about principles to keep in mind as you read the Word to cause the Word to make sense to you. And one of them is understanding who the Scripture is talking to. And there are clues, there are keys, there are principles that will help us know who the Scripture is talking to, because sometimes it's talking to Jews, sometimes it's talking to Gentiles, sometimes it's talking to lost people, sometimes it's talking to saved people. Here in verse 13 where it says, but we, when the Scripture uses the word like we and us, it's usually talking to what kind of people? Christians. When it says they and them, it's usually talking to non-Christians. Now, there's exceptions to this biblical principle, but typically this holds true. So when God inspired Peter to say, but we are looking forward, what type of people are looking forward? Christians are looking forward. Christians are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth because God has promised that there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. So here's, here's the thing that you need to understand. If you're not looking forward to the next life, you're not looking in the right direction. The problem happens to us as believers because the Scripture says we're in this world even though we're not of this world. We woke up on the planet Earth today. 
We woke up in North Florida today. We, had, we got a deal with Jacksonville, with, with the five-county area. This is where we live. But as a believer, you should not be deeply rooted in this earth. You should understand that we are just pilgrims passing through, the Scripture says. We are not here forever. We've got a better place. I hope you believe you've got a better place to go. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth as, because we believe God promises this. And here's what it's going to be. It's going to be a world filled with God's righteousness. Now, there's a contrast here, and I'm not going to take time to stay in verse 13 all morning, but there's a contrast here between the, the, the earth that we're on now and the new earth that we're going to be on then. There's a contrast between the world that we have now and the world that we're going to have then. Because right now, our world is not filled with God's righteousness. If you don't believe that, just go sit and walk around or go walk around in a Walmart and watch what's going on in a Walmart. You'll realize we live in a pretty wild place. The world we live in, watch the news. See what's going on. It's not filled with God's righteousness. And if you stay focused on this life, if you stay focused on this earth, if you stay focused on the unrighteousness that you see, you're going to adopt a victim mentality, a woe is me mentality. Uh, I can't deal with all this mentality. You're going to adopt a earthly perspective when God wants you to be looking toward, looking forward to keeping your eyes focused on what is ahead. I want you to leave today knowing God has a better place for us than this world. This is not all there is for the believer. If this is all you want, then you're not wanting enough. The scripture says Christians are looking forward to the next life because it's going to be a life filled with God's righteousness. I've told you for years, if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. The apostles had favor with God and with people. The apostles had the joy of God as their strength. And one of the reasons why is they were looking forward. What's the opposite of looking forward? Looking back. You know what most people fall into? You know the trap most people fall into? Even Christians? Looking back. Looking back at what went wrong. Looking back at what somebody did to you. Looking back at how a situation turned out. You can, you can mess up looking back on your successes even. Most people are trapped by looking back on their failures and on bad times. But if you look back on your successes, then that can mess you up too because you're not going to be advancing moving forward in Christ. And if we want to be the people God wants us to be, we got to do what the apostles and prophets did because the Bible says that our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone and the apostles were looking forward. I want you to wonder, think about, examine in your mind. Do you spend more time looking forward to heaven or looking back on what upsets you? Oh, man, if we had the time right now to really talk about it, we can, we can make for some growth. I want you to take your spirituality into your own hands. I want you to make investment in your own spirituality, and I want you to examine yourself. The Bible says examine your own selves. Examine yourself to see, are you stuck looking back? Well, this happened, that happened, or are you really looking forward? Because here's the reality. If you look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, you're going to be a pretty excited person. You're going to be a positive person. You're going to be optimistic. You're going to be excited. You're going to be filled with enthusiasm because you realize no matter what you got going on in this world, what's coming next is better. Can five people agree with that? Let's look at verse 14. And so, dear friends. Now, we're 
still talking to the same group of people, uh, while you are waiting for these things to happen, oh, while you are doing what? Waiting. People don't like to wait. I don't know about you, but I definitely don't like to wait in traffic. I'm that guy. I will literally drive 25 minutes in the other direction rather than wait 10 minutes in this traffic jam. Anybody else? Just me and Jimmy? Okay. Yeah. I drive around the whole city before I wait five minutes in a traffic jam. I, that's just it's annoying to me. Waiting is more difficult for some than others, but it's hard on everybody. But growth can be hard. What did I tell you first thing about growth? It takes time. Say time. And while you're waiting, this signifies that there's a time element involved. Here's the bad thing about life now, especially in this modern world that we live in. We want what we want, and we want it now. We want what we want, and we want it now. I can remember going to my grandmother's house in rural Louisiana. She lived on a cotton farm, on, a, on dirt just everywhere, nothing but farm for miles. I already told y'all that my, my, parent, my, my mom grew up really poor uh, outside of Rayville, Louisiana. Rayville, Louisiana is the town. They lived in the unincorporated section where all the farms are in, in the rural section of unincorporated Rayville. So when they went into town, they went to Rayville. That wasn't much of a town. When they went uptown, they went to Monroe. Now, Monroe was made famous in America by a bunch of bearded white dudes to put on a TV show called Duck Dynasty. Monroe was where all the rich and fancy people live. Now, if the Duck Dynasty crowd is the fancy, sophisticated, uptown people to where you come from, you're in the sticks. And my mom grew up uh, on, on this farm. We go to see my grandmother every summer, and I saw what farming life was like every summer. I got to witness it firsthand. And do you know what my grandmother did from the time she got up? To the time she went to bed, anybody want to take a guess? She worked. But here's what's crazy. Everybody else was in the field. My grandmother, before everybody else got up, she was in the kitchen all day long. She was either in the kitchen, she was either cooking, or she was cleaning. She was cooking. Why? Because there wasn't no Pillsbury Doughboys popping fresh. There wasn't no hungry. Y'all don't remember that. Hungry Jack Biscuit. There was no hungry Jack Biscuits. You know what there was? There was a counter filled with flour. Kneading in that bowl, rolling out those bits. There was all there was cooking from scratch. All the, and it took hours to make a meal, especially for a big family. Anybody know why farming folk have big families? Kids work for free. So, but the, by the time she spent hours cooking, everybody ate it and left. Now she's got every dish in the house dirty. Now she's got to clean all that up. Now, today, mm-mm. No, we want to be able to just open up a packet of grits, pull for some water and a microwave on it and say, done. Oatmeal. Minute 30. You can't make oatmeal in a minute 30 uh, back in the day. It took time to do things. We live in a world, listen, I remember when Jiffy Pop came out. It was the coolest thing. Man, if you're, if you're a child of my generation, you remember Jiffy Pop just shaking that little, and, and, and the bag swelling up, and it, it was like watching a movie. Uh, because before that, you had to get the biggest, 
steel pot that you owned. You had to coat the bottom of it in grease. You had to properly cover the bottom of it, one layer, uh, not too much, not too little, on the bottom of the pot uh, with kernels. And then you had to stand there, right, Jimmy, and shake that 95-pound steel pot as a seven-year-old. Didn't have glass lids back then. You had a steel lid on that thing. You had no idea what was happening on the inside, but you're just shaking. Jiffy Pop came along. We're like, wow, you don't have to get out the grease in the kernel. All you got to do is just peel the little paper off the top of this thing and just put it on and shake it, and boom, you see when it's done? Listen, got faster, but then it got even faster from then. Why? Orville Redenbacher. Old Orville came along and made microwavable pop. Anybody remember how bad microwave popcorn stunk when you used to burn it? Anybody remember microwaves where you couldn't, didn't have digital timers? You had to spin the dial around past 30 and then pull it back into where you want. You spin it around past, not 30 seconds. These microwaves were low wattage. That's 30 minutes on that dial. You roll that thing around. I don't know that you microwave anything for 30 minutes in America now. You burn your whole world down. You roll that thing around past 30 minutes, then bring it back in, hoping you get somewhere between three and four minutes on that thing depending on what worked like, but you know why you determined where to put it? Because you burnt the pants off it the first two or three times, and it stunk. But then we got all this perfect, we got digital microwaves. Listen, microwaves now, every microwave built in the last 15 years has one word, uh, multiple words, but one word for sure on the front faceplate of that microwave. Anybody know what that one word is? Popcorn. How are they going to know? What, 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 no matter what flavor popcorn it is, you press that button, boom, it makes it the way you want to make it. Why? Because we want stuff done fast. We want stuff done fast. It just cracks me up. All these computer nerds, all these high-tech people, they, ooh, 5G, 5G, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Got to have 5G. What, 4G wasn't doing it for you? 4G's not fast enough. That's what you're telling me. 4G is just so slow, you can't deal with it. 3G, got to have it. Listen, uh, we, we, we held on to iPhone 4s until they wouldn't work anymore. Then we held on to iPhone 6s until they quit. Up to, how, anybody still running an iPhone 6? I got mad respect for you. iPhone 6 people, my favorite people in the world. Why? Because they will not be bent down by Apple. They ain't caving in because they know their iPhone 6 works just as good as my iPhone 10 and your iPhone 11. But we want what we want faster. We want, listen, people my generation and older, speed's not that big a deal. Especially because when we got on computers, I got on computers in the Army in the mid-80s when computers were large pieces of equipment. Uh, and we had real dial-up. Some of y'all remember, you've got mail. Everybody, the only, the only mail server out, listen, if you still got an AOL.com address, I got mad respect for you, too, because you, you still got one. I love you more than anybody. That is awesome. These people are like, I'm staying with what I got. Listen, all you, all you people want faster and faster, if you're my age or older, you probably remember dial-up. I'm talking about, oh, I'm going to go online, and I, I'm going to look up, uh, I'm going to look up Joe Namath. Okay, well, you got to type in all these long digits, and then you got to hit the button, and then you got to walk away unless you want to sit there and listen to ee, er, ah. 
That noise stuck in my ear. Ah! Go outside and play. Because, you know, right before you go to bed, it's going to start loading an image of Joe Namath. Anybody, any of y'all remember back when the images used to load and they'd start at the top and you see the helmet on Joe Namath and you'd think, oh, it's going to load. An hour later, you'd be down to his face mask. It's working, Mom. The computer's working. Now, these nerves now, they're like, oh, my gosh, I, can't, I just can't deal with 3G. I just can't deal. I, oh, I can't deal with 3G. I've got to have 5G. 4G was bad enough, but 3, oh, 3G, no, no, not me. Why? Because here, here's the difference between 3G and 5G. Here's the difference between LTE and 5G. Click, boom. That's, that's LTE. 5G, click, boom. So click, boom, it's on. That's not fast enough for you. Oh, that just, people today, what am I telling you? We don't want to take time to do anything. We don't want to take time to do anything. Throw it away, buy a new one, it's faster. We don't want to take time, but the Bible teaches us that growth takes time. God expects us to grow, and growth takes time. And we are going to have to wait. Say wait. And there's some things we need to do while we are waiting for these things to happen. We need to make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in God's sight. Now, there's three different things that you see here on your screen that tell us what type of lives we should be living. Somebody tell us the first one. Peaceful. Say peaceful. You need to live a peaceful life. Why are you so angry all the time? Why are you so upset all the time? Why are you so irritated all the time? If you are experiencing that type of life, you need to change. Say change. Start focusing on God and how good God is. It'll bring more peace into your life. But not only are we supposed to make every effort, every effort, say effort. It's effort. It's not going to come easy. It's going to be effort. We need to make every effort to be found living not only peaceful lives, but what else? A pure life. Now, here's the thing. It says make every effort to live pure. Does that even sound to you like God believes you're always going to live pure? No, he said make every effort to live pure. God knows that we're all in our process. God knows that we fall down and we get up. But you need to never stop making the effort. Say effort. You made an effort by coming here today. God sees that. God said in all labor there is profit. God sees the effort that is being made, and we are expected by our Heavenly Father to have a peaceful life and to make every effort to have a pure life and a blameless life. And here's the great news, in His sight. Y'all didn't get it. Y'all didn't. I, I, I want you to grow in His grace and in His knowledge so you'll start getting these things. Listen, if you just are trying to please people, never going to work for you. I'm so glad I have a non-people-pleasing mindset. God, God freed me from that. I don't do what I do for the applause of people. If I did, I'd stand at that door. I do like most uh, good preachers do, uh, most professional preachers. They have someone else close in prayer so they can do what? Slip down to that door and do what? Shake everybody. 
Well, Mrs. Jones, you look so beautiful today. We're blessed by you. Oh, hello, uh, uh, bro Brother Bill. And, and I can just politic all y'all. How, how many people ever had to stand in line waiting on the door because everybody was trying to shake the preacher's hand on the way? I used to, I go over to the other door. I'm like, he ain't got time to be shaking everybody's hand. I am glad that I learned early in life God didn't call me to do what I do to please people. He called me to do what I do for his glory. And he is the one whose sight I'm worried about. I had somebody tell me, I don't believe a pastor should preach in blue jeans. And I'm thinking, well, at least I wore clothes. I've been telling people for years, I don't care how you dress. You want to wear shorts? You want to wear a T-shirt? You want to wear a jersey? You want to wear a dress, a suit? Uh, come dressed any way you want to. Just come dressed. But I've had people tell me, I don't believe a pastor should preach in T-shirt. I believe a pastor should have on a suit and a tie. Well, here's the reality. I'm not living to please you. I'm not living to be blameless in your sight. I'm living to be blameless in God's sight. And I know what God expects out of me. Let's look at verse 15. And remember, comma, pause on the punctuation. When you read, I want you to discipline yourself as you read the Scripture to pay attention to the punctuation. I want you to pause on commas. I want you to get excited on exclamation points. I want you to ponder on question marks. I want you to consider on colons and semicolons. I want you to see the punctuation because it will perfect your understanding. He said, and remember, comma. Okay, well, he's about to give us some things to remember, but he wants us to think about what he's telling us to do, to remember. What should we as Christians be doing right now? Somebody guess the word. Remember, say remember. We should remember. If you remember God's goodness, if you remember how it felt to get saved, if you remember that God loves you more than he uh, owes you, then it's going to help you grow better in Christ. We spend so much time trying to learn new things, we've forgotten the old things. And it's the old things that are the true things. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Christian, I want you to remember how much God has done for you. I want you to remember how much God loves you. I want you to remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Now, if you've ever had an unsaved person living in your house, you know you want that person saved when? Now. If you've ever had an unsaved child in your home, if you've ever had an unsaved spouse in your home, if you've got family members that you love, you want them saved now. Let me tell you one of the reasons why so many saved people want their unsaved spouse to, to get saved quick, because they're tired of arguing. You should want them to get saved so they make heaven their home. Amen? You should want them to get saved so they understand how great it is to be in a relationship with the true and the living God. And here's the reality. God's patience gives people time to be saved. Don't get frustrated because your loved one hadn't got saved yet. Don't try to rush somebody's salvation process. Don't, don't try to nag or browbeat somebody into a closer relationship with God. God is patient even when we're not. And God does everything in his own time. Then Peter, who God inspired to write this, goes on to say in this next sentence, that is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Look at verse 16. 
He's talking about Paul and Paul's writings. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, Paul's letters, some of his comments are hard to understand, comma. He threw a comma on there like, yeah, think about that for a minute. Paul wrote some deep stuff. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. Now here in verse 15 and verse 16, get this. Peter says some extraordinary things about Paul. Peter says some extraordinary things about Paul, and it shocked the people he was talking to. They were shocked by it because they just assumed Peter was not down with Paul. They just assumed that Peter didn't like Paul. And Peter had some reasons not to like Paul. Peter was the leader until Paul came along. And then Paul became the chief apostle on the planet. Peter was the one of note until Paul came along. And not only that, but they had a massive conflict. Anybody ever have conflict with another Christian? The rest of y'all are lying. Uh, they had some serious issues, but here Peter says some awesome things about Paul. He calls Paul his beloved brother. Now, here's the deal. He didn't say that out of the side of his mouth. Well, you know I love Sonia. But, um, blah, blah, blah. No, he said this under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He said this being inspired by God to write the truth. He loved Paul. Paul was his beloved brother. He cared about Paul. And not only did he say that, but he declares Paul's letters are written with the wisdom of God. He declared that Paul's writings were on the same level as his writings. There's no resentment here. There's no competitiveness here. There's no jealousy here. There's no conflict here where everyone else thought that there was resentment, there was jealousy, and there was conflict. I want you to understand one of the most accurate signs of real growth, because we're talking about growing this morning, is not staying mad after a bad experience. You ever had a bad experience with somebody? How quick did you get over it? See, because Peter had a really bad experience with Paul. Not just a bad experience, but a bad public experience. Let's, let's look at it in Galatians chapter 2 and we'll get out of here. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, now this is Paul writing. Paul's writing to the Christians at this city called Galatia. And he said, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. Oh, well, who is you? Paul said I had to get in the boy's face. Now, let me, let me tell you this. This is not the way to deal Christian to Christian. This is the way to a deal, deal apostle to apostle. This is the way for a person in authority to deal with those people under his authority. Paul didn't just walk around checking people. Paul didn't just walk around putting people on blast. Paul didn't just walk around offending people. But Paul had authority over Peter. And so he goes into Antioch, he sees Peter there, and he had to oppose him to his face for something he was doing was wrong. Look at verse 12, we'll see what it was. When he first arrived, when Peter first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. Ooh. Now, hey, let me ask you this. How do you know if another man's circumcised or not? The Bible says don't know anybody after the flesh. Know them according to the, I don't care. I don't need to know your personal business. 
I just need to know that you love the Lord and I love the Lord. Let's, let's relate to each other on the spiritual. But the Bible says he, he was eating with these Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, oh, there's a switch coming. When some friends of James came, now James was the head of the council. James was a Jew. James is the brother of Jesus. James is somebody that everybody respected, and he was in charge of the church at Jerusalem. When he came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So Paul caught Peter slumming. Paul caught Peter hanging out with non-Jewish people. And there was nothing wrong with that because these were new believers, but they hadn't been circumcised. And some Christians thought, well, you're not as good a Christian as we are, so we sit over here. We sit on this side of the church. We don't mess with these people over here. Because, you know, they, 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 that's the side of the church the preacher kid sits on, so, you know, we won't be over here. And this was what was going on. There was hypocrisy going on. Peter was pretending to have higher standards than what he really had. Y'all think that still goes on in the church? Y'all think when, when uh, the pastor walks in the room, people adjust the way they're talking and acting? Shouldn't be. We're not here to please the pastor. God's our only judge. We should live one way all the time. I already told you all about those people uh, that when I meet them uh, and they're smoking, they hide their cigarette behind their back. Why? What, and I've, I, I just let it sit there because I know being in the military, this is an uncomfortable position. This, this, is, this is a partial parade rest position. I've got my right arm in, and it puts an unusual strain on that right shoulder. Isn't that right, Sonia? Sonia Prior Army, she knows about these things. It puts an unusual strain on that. So I let it sit there for a minute because I figure either their shoulder's going to give in, they're going to burn the shirt behind them, the cigarette's going to burn down and, and catch their finger, and I, and I finally just let, I finally just, you know, let them off the hook, and I'm like, dude. Either your hair is on fire from all that smoke coming up, or you got to sit. You ain't got to hide that cigarette behind. Oh, you caught me. Oh, man. Uh, you know. Why are you hiding that? The greatest one I ever saw, true story. Dude was, uh, is when the church was in Middleburg, I, I, went, I went out to see uh, a church member. He was out in the front yard. He had a cigarette in his mouth. Had a, had, a, had a beer in his hand, and he was spraying down his garden uh, with, with the water hose. He saw me make the turn into his driveway. He dropped that garden hose, pulled the cigarette out of his mouth, took the beer, and went like that, threw a beer can over the top of his tray. Just spitting beer every revolution it made all over his trailer. Cigarette behind his back. I'm like, Chris, did you just throw a whole beer over the top of your trailer? Oh, you caught me. I'm not here to catch you, man. Why are you acting different in front of me because I drove up? I'm not God. I'm not your judge. God saw you drinking that beer when you opened it. Hiding a cigarette behind nobody's back. Peter was fronting. He was pretending to be something in front of James's crowd because James was the head of the council. And so, when, he, you know, when they're not there, he's all eating with his new Gentile Christian friends, hanging out with it. But when, you know, when the, when the important people come up, he's like, mm, 
I don't associate with those people, James, because we're better than them. He was afraid of the criticism from religious people. Look at verse 13. Paul's about to get, get this work in. He says, as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Paul's like, man, you're living wrong. Other people are watching you. They think that's how to do. That, that, that is not how to do. Look at verse 14. Here comes this work. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Ooh, what happened to pull them aside and correct them privately? I've had people tell me, Pastor Scott, I don't believe that you should call people down and correct people in front of others. It's, it's, it's just not professional. It's, uh, you know, well, we teach in our managerial HR classes at, at the corporate office that you should always criticize privately and praise publicly. Well, that's your corporate life. That ain't biblical life. What, what did Paul do to Peter? He said, I said to Peter in front of all of them, since you're a Jew by birth, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish tradition? He's like, you left your Jewish religion to follow Jesus, who told us that we all can be saved. Now, all of a sudden, you're trying to bounce back into pretending you're a Jew who can't sit down and eat with Gentiles. He, here's what he's telling him. Pick a side, boy. Pick a side. Are you on with Jesus or are you on with religion? Are you on with God loves everybody and everybody can be saved? Or are you just sticking with yours? Are, are, are you down with yours? I have seen people act a certain way in front of Christians of other races than they act in front of Christians in their own race. Well, these are, you know, well, that's my people. When are we going to learn as believers that our people are believers? The Bible says God tore down the middle wall of partition that was between us and made of himself one new man. Peter was acting like, oh, I embrace my Gentile brethren too. Now, the only way we can correlate to this in, in 2021 is, is the racial thing that's there because it's a racial thing between Jews and Gentiles. It, it, it's like a white person sitting down uh, at a restaurant eating with his black Christian friends and tell all the little white, redneck, hater, racist friends walk in, which he shouldn't have anyway, and then he acts like, oh, I, I, was, I was just saying hello to them. I'm going to come eat with y'all. Why? A minute ago, they were your brothers in Christ. Now, because people of your race came in, they're them and we're us. Christians need to get a us is Christian people. And, and Paul Peter was stuck in that racist, traditional way of thinking, and so Paul had to jam him up, and Paul jammed him up in front of everybody. You think that made Peter feel awkward, uncomfortable? You think being signaled out in front of a group of people felt warm and fuzzy to him? So the natural response, people think, would be like, oh, man, I bet Peter is mad at Paul. Oh, man, if he did that to me, I'd be 38 hot. Oh, he called him out in front of everybody like that, told him he was a hypocrite, and even making other people in being hypocrites, talked to him about his Jewishness and his Gentiles. He put him on blast in front of everybody at the restaurant. So the unsaved mind, the, the immature Christian mind thinks, there's got to be some heat between Peter and Paul. After an episode like that, there ain't no way they're tight. And Paul has just come in new to Christ, was a hater of Jesus, uh, a year ago, now all of a sudden, five years ago, he's a hater of Jesus. Now all of a sudden, he's the chief apostle. Peter's got to have real animosity. Listen, I told you one of the greatest signs of true 
Christian maturity is being able to get over a bad experience, get over a conflict. This, this, this spirit of uh, uh, be, being done wrong, this, this spirit of offense that people are carrying around, people expected that to happen because they had had this conflict. But Peter was a real Christian. You know what he did? Here's what a real Christian does when somebody calls out their, their issue. You're right, I'm wrong. You're right. I'm wrong. And they make an adjustment to it. And they don't stay mad at the person that they were mad at. Let's finish up these last two verses in our text in verse 17 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. He was talking in verse 16 about people that didn't understand what Paul wrote. And they were twisting it. They were taking the scripture and causing it to mean something other than what it does. When it comes to interpretation, if you ever take a biblical interpretation class, you're going to learn two words in that class. They're going to talk about them a lot. One is exegesis and one is eisegesis. To exegete is to take out of the text what it's saying. To eisegete is to read into the text what you want it to say. How many of y'all know you can read any verse of scripture and make it say what you want it to say? And this is what a lot of people were doing with Paul's writings. They were not... They knew them, they could quote them, but they didn't understand them right, and they were teaching them wrong. And Peter says, hey, be careful. Just because they know what the Bible says don't mean they're teaching it the right way and don't get carried away in their errors. Then, now, and forever, there's going to be false teachers on the planet. Then, now, and forever, there's going to be misinterpretation on the planet. And the Bible tells us don't get carried away with bad theology because that's going to mess up your secure footing. Verse 18, and we're done. Rather... Comma. Instead of all that, here's the conclusion. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to him both now and forever. He says rather than doing those things, here's what you should do. So the teaching is here to let us know that our natural proclivity is those other things. Getting caught up in offense, not looking forward but looking back not growing, not realizing it's going to take us time to grow, not, not, not growing through growth pains, not, not getting the proper nutrition in ourselves, but falling back on, well, I'm mad, I'm upset. Could you imagine if, if I did that to somebody? What Paul, people are like, well, you have done that to people. Well, okay. How did they respond to it is the question. Did they be like, okay, I understand. Peter had to understand that what he was doing was wrong. And even after that type of public conflict, even after that type of awkwardness and, and, and difficulty and pain, he, he moved beyond it to call Peter his beloved brother and to put his writings on par with his own. And, and, and there's a way to respond in life. And if you're not doing the right things, the default switch is always wrong. Do you realize if you just leave it up to life to figure it out, you're always going to go wrong? If you're just like, well, I'll just do whatever comes my way, trouble's going to come your way. If you realize, well, I just like to do what makes me happy, you're going to choose wrong almost every time. We've got to go the right way, and the right way is a painful way. The right way is a time-consuming way. The right way takes proper nutrition. And the Scripture says you must grow. It's not optional. For the believer, you must grow in what? Two things, grace and knowledge. Grace 
and knowledge. Now, here's the reality. If you grow in one but not the other at a different rate, you are going to be an unbalanced Christian. When the grace movement came along in the 80s, it came along for a reason. Church had become too legalistic. Church had become too ritualistic. Church had become too much about rules and regulations. So people like Charles uh, Stanley wrote books, or Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called The Grace Awakening and taught us that God accepts us whether we live perfect or not. And that helped balance out the, the regimented, legalistic rules and regulations that church was heaping on people. But they took it too far. I know people that got into the grace movement that, that started using grace as a license for their sin and said, uh, it's okay if I do this because I, I'm under God's grace. And the people that didn't used to drink and smoke and cuss and whore around, started, start, well, at least they didn't do it publicly, they started saying that God was okay with it because of grace. Let me tell you something. You can't just grow in grace. You've got to grow in knowledge of Jesus. Here's the deal. If you only grow in knowledge but not in grace, you're just going to get mean. You're going to get bitter. You're going to get proud. You're going to think you're, you, you know more than other people. You're going to get puffed up. You've got to grow in both. Say both. You've got to grow in grace, and you've got to grow in knowledge of the Word. I like the way it was said by one preacher. He talked about a contrast between some churches that focus on grace and some churches that focus on knowledge. There are some churches where everybody has pencil and paper in hand. Nothing wrong with that uh, unless they make you do it. If you do it because you like it, that's, that's good. Um, but there's these heady churches that only focus on knowledge, and there's these other churches that only focus on just do whatever, man, and just only focus on grace. And one preacher said, if, if you only have uh, grace, you'll, you'll, you, if, if you only have knowledge, you'll dry up. If you only have grace, you'll blow up. But if you have grace and knowledge, you can grow up. And this is what God's trying to get us to do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to live out the scripture today, this week, this month, for the rest of your life. I want you to realize that growth is mandatory, and you must grow. And the things that God commands us to grow in is grace and knowledge. I want you to be more grace, have more grace in your life, and I want you to get more knowledge in your life. Four things we talked about this morning. Growing takes time. Are you growing? Growing takes time, but it should be a process, a progress. If you're still where you are right now, if, if you're where you are now, hasn't grown any better from where you were a year ago, then you're not growing. You're regressing. You're going backwards. And that's not God's design. God, God, no parent wants to see their child learn their times table and then forget how to add. No, you're supposed to be moving forward. Christian life is designed to be a progress, a, pro a progression. It takes time, but you need to be growing. I believe that we all ought to live a high standard of holiness, but I understand that myself and everybody in this room, we fail. Does somebody agree with that? And I don't excuse sin in my life or anybody else's. I've done shameful things as a Christian that I've repented of and, and, and God has forgiven me of. And I don't make excuse for it. Wrong is wrong and right is right. But I will tell you this for sure. This one cliche I believe in. And you ought to be able to say this and know that it's real in your life. I may not be all that I ought to be. But I thank God I'm not what I used to be. See, that's, there's some growth there. 
Are you closer to God now than you were a year ago? Are you closer to God now than you were five years ago? See, here's the reality. If you used to be closer to God than you are right now, you have slidden back. And anybody who has slidden back is a backslider. Don't be a backslider. Be a front slider. I told you growing can be painful. Well, if I'm supposed to grow, that means i got to forgive my mother? Yes. Yes. Well, if i got to grow, I'm supposed to forgive those people? Yes. Oh, if I, if I have to grow, you, you expect me to be the bigger man, the bigger woman, to, to be nice to them even after all that? Yes. It's painful, isn't it? But it's expected from God. I told you, growing requires proper nutrition. If you want your child to grow, you got to feed them the right things. That's in the natural, in the spirit realm. If you if you want to grow, you got to feed yourself the right things. You got to have a diet of the Word of God. They told Jesus, Lord, you need to come put some food in your mouth. He said, Man, I got food y'all don't even know about. His food was the Word of God and doing the will of God. You need to start feeding on the Word of God and doing the will of God. Because if you only have the Word of God in your life, but you're not doing it, you're going to become bitter. If you're only trying to do things for God, but you're not feeding on the Word of God, then you're going to have self-effort. Get proper nutrition, believer. Feast on God's Word. Well, Pastor Scott, I'm not much about that book learning. I really like to read much. I just do my prayers and listen to my music. That is not going to get you to where you need to be. The Bible says that the, the renewing of your mind comes from the revelation of God's Word. The last thing we talk about is that lack of growth can cause resentment. That's what I want to end on. Lack of growth. When you know you're not where you ought to be, when you're not where you want to be, you can let it make you bitter or you can let it make you better. And that's the choice you've got today. Do you want to be bitter about where you are right now? Or do you want to be better from where you are right now? I can remember when, when Seth was this tall and Jake was this tall. We were looking at those pictures the other day. He was like two feet taller than you. You remember those pictures we were looking at? He was at least two feet taller than you. And Jake has always wanted to be um, big and strong and an athlete and he always wanted to make his career uh, something that had to do with being big and strong. And Seth wants to make his career something that has to do with making a lot of money and using his brain. And Jake used to tell me, no, see, that, that gap started closing. And Seth was growing. And Jake, I don't, think Jake, I don't think Jake grew a smidgen after about the eighth grade. They just locked in and, and, and didn't grow. And, and, and Seth starts coming up on him. And then Seth realized that Jake likes to stand like this in a picture. So Seth started standing like this in a picture. And we started getting these pictures where Seth looked taller. And Jake, Jake, it's not right, Dad. Seth doesn't even care about getting bigger. I'm working out every day trying to get bigger, and he's, he, he's, he's going to be taller than me. Oh, you resent that? Why do you care about the growth of your brother? If they're growing faster than you, if they're growing bigger than you, be glad for them. 
be happy for them, rejoice for them. The Bible says when we measure ourselves against ourselves, we become as fools. It's unwise. Let me tell you something about Jake and Seth. It don't matter that Seth's taller than Jake, neither one of them tall. Seth don't walk in the room like, oh, I'm feeling like I'm the tallest person in the world because I'm taller than my big brother. When you compare yourselves to other people, the Bible says you become unwise. Other people aren't our standard. Stop worrying about what pace that other person is growing in. And you focus on growing yourself. Let God be your judge. Let God grow you. Learn more about God. Fall in love with God more. Feed on His Word and doing His will. And growth will happen. Make every effort, believer, to grow in God's grace. God's grace is not hard. God's grace is not negative. God's grace is not condemning. God's grace is loving and it's kind. It's discipline. It's correction. Grow in His knowledge. How much do you really know about God? You should know more about God. Hear this and I'm done. You should know more about God than any other subject you know anything about. If you know more about your family than you know about God, you need to grow more in your knowledge of God. If you know more about your race than you know about God, you need to grow in your knowledge of God. If you know more about sports than God, if you know more about anything than God, you need to start concentrating on knowing more about God. Because we say God is number one. Every Christian will tell you, oh, God's my ultimate priority. Then why do you spend more time watching TV than you spend reading the book? Well, I don't like to read. This is not about what you like to do. See, here's the thing. Immature children always want what they want. They want to have what they want they want their way all the time mature people understand i'm a member of this family and i got i got we all we all have a job to do we all we all we all got to work i just want to do my part are you doing your part are you growing are you becoming more loving toward god and toward other people are you growing in the knowledge of god not not in in things that make you sound smart biblically but things that fill your heart with joy because you know him more now than you used to we've messed up relationships in America people think the honeymoon is the time when you're, you're the closest and the, and the most awesome and a honeymoon is designed to be a good time but that's not that real love that, that puppy love that, that 14 year old love oh, Johnny likes me that, 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 that's not the most exciting love that there is. When you really know that person and they know you and you know that they know you and they know that you know them. When there's no question about who just made that noise and that smell. And there's no problem about it either. They know you did it and they love you anyway. That's real love. That's the intimacy God wants from you. Not, not, not skyrockets in flight. Not, 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 not always this massive level of this person excites me no when you sit in a, in a room with that person that you love and just be glad to be breathing the same air and be in the same room even if you're not talking because you know that you know them and they know that they know you 
That's intimacy. That's real growth. Get to the place in your life where you're just excited that you know that God knows you and you know that you know God. And the more you know about God, the more you're going to love Him. I've had people tell me, Pastor, the Bible's just hard to understand. One person said, it's easier to understand if you fall in love with the author. And if you'll read this book, you'll begin to know God more. And the more you know about God, the more you're going to love Him. And then you're going to find yourself growing. Start feeding yourself the right things. Get into this book and let this book get into you. Invest in your spirituality. Feast on the Word of God and doing the will of God. And you will grow. And your Father will be pleased. And I believe that should be the goal of every child. Is to please their Father. To make Mom and Daddy proud of them. To let Mom and Daddy know. I do everything I do for you. Because I want you to know I love you. And I hope you want God to see your love for Him. We need to live our love out on display for the whole world to see. We're not perfect people, but we have a perfect God. Pray with me. God, thank you for being perfect. Thank you for accepting us into your family, God. Thank you for expecting us to grow. God, I pray that you would help us to love you and to love each other the way your Bible teaches us to. God, I pray that you'd help us to get over hurts and offenses. I pray that you'd help us to put the past in the past and look forward to eternity with you. Thank you for salvation, God. I pray for everyone in this room that's not saved, God, that you would pour your spirit out on them and save them. Save the lost, God. Recover the backslider. Draw us closer to you is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.